The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Today is Freedom from Addiction Sunday. It is by by far my favorite Sunday of the year at Canyon Ridge Church. I absolutely love it. I love hearing the stories. I love celebrating it because it happened in my life. And I love seeing baptisms, which you guys got to witness. And, um, you know, it's, it's perfect because freedom from addiction and baptisms, they fit so well together. Baptism represents the old person dying to our, our sin and our will, our old ways of life. And it represents the becoming of a new person uh, because of what Jesus has done. This is the same thing that happens when God frees us from addiction or anything that we're facing, when we receive freedom. It's the same thing. And today, North and I are going to share our story about addiction and what happened in our life and the way that God has freed us and continues to free us because we're not there yet. We're not perfect. Um, It's been a long, painful road. And we've experienced the pain of change, but we've also experienced the healing that follows when you walk with God through that. Uh, Some of you may be at a crossroad where you're realizing uh, you may need to take a turn. You may need to get on a new path. You may need to begin a process of change, and it seems too painful. And you might be wondering if you should do it. I would say, yes, you should, but you can decide for yourself. Uh, Others of you may already be in that painful process, and what we are going to share is going to resonate with you, but I encourage you to hold fast to that, uh, because God is faithful. Uh, We believe that God's asked us to be transparent about our story for two reasons. The first is, it's a part of our journey. It's a part of what God wants to do in us. It's a part of our healing as we um, receive freedom, and we're able to speak about what he's done without shame. Because that's, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He allows us to stand without shame, even though we did things that are shameful. And so that's part of our journey is being transparent because we're made new. And the second reason we believe that God's asking us to do this is because God never just blesses you or restores you simply out of his love for you. Although he loves you and, and he does do it for that. But he always blesses, he always restores, and he always redeems for a greater purpose. God wants to cause a ripple effect. He wants to see that the redemption he did in one person spurs someone else on to see that there can be redemption in their life. And so we believe that today is not just for us. It's for God's glory, but it's also for you. So our hope would be uh, that you could be encouraged and you could be inspired um, and you you could experience freedom. So our story, we met in high school at a Bible study. North was leading a Bible study with his friends. And uh, we quickly discovered we both wanted to be foreign missionaries. We couldn't wait to travel. Being in America was, like, uh, challenging. Like, we felt homesick for places we'd never been. Like, we, we had that in common. And so we quickly became best friends. Three years after high school, we got married. And that was awesome for about a year. Six months, year, somewhere in there. And then we realized, as many people realized, we had brought a lot of baggage and a lot of sin with us into our marriage. Things from our past that were undealt with, things that were hidden. And, uh, you know, getting married, sometimes I say, is like looking at a magnifying, like a mirror, one of those magnifying mirrors you don't really want to look at because you see all your pores and stuff. It's like that because you get to see your flaws and your weaknesses and your blemishes. You get to see your selfishness. And so we quickly discovered that in our marriage. And uh, we began to get counseling, but we kind of only got honest about some of the surface things. And we weren't honest about the deep-rooted sin in our lives. We were in denial. And so a few years later... 
our marriage kind of exploded. North came out with the details of a secret addiction, and I began to to respond in sin, and uh, it was a disaster. We knew we needed to take drastic measures if we were going to survive, let alone thrive in our life. But even just to survive, we knew we would need to take drastic measures. We entered what we like to call lockdown mode. Uh, Only what we needed to do to survive and to grow could be happening, and all else uh, was not going to be on our plate at that time. And it felt as though an iron curtain had closed on our dream of being missionaries. At this point, we didn't even know if our marriage would survive, let alone going out and, and living our dream of foreign missions. For me, I grew up uh, with a lot of addiction in my family, and with that comes a lot of dysfunction. If you've experienced that or seen that, you know that when there's an addict in a family, everyone plays their part. They become the driving force, the center, and everyone finds their dysfunctional role, and and everyone reacts in different ways, and it's the way we cope. And so for me, my role, I became the peacemaker, the rescuer, the people pleaser, but ultimately the controller and the manipulator. And if that wasn't bad enough, I began to attract needy friends who also needed rescuing. Imagine that. And being the rescuer became my identity. Those were all the people I was around at home, and those were all the people I was around when I wasn't at home. My life was not working. It was a constant roller coaster. My peace and security came and went depending on the success or destruction of my family and friends. It was terrible. I had no boundaries, and I was living in complete chaos. When North confessed his addiction, I began even harder to try and control him and control his behaviors, thinking I could somehow stop it. I could somehow manage it, even though that never worked in the past and it never worked in my family. The crazy cycle of sin in my life began to spiral and snowball and grow. I didn't like who I was becoming. When things blew up, eventually I entered a recovery program And that's where I began to finally admit that my life had become unmanageable. So it was back in 2010 when Amanda invited me to have a meeting with Pastor John to discuss our shipwrecked marriage. And by that time, I'd already been addicted to pornography for about 13 years. Um, During those 13 years, I had been a leader in the youth group. I was a worship leader. I started a Bible study, started a Christian rock band, been on mission trips, led people to Christ. And I was currently doing all those things, or most of those things, as a youth pastor. I was also currently sleeping on a foam pad in an empty studio apartment as a result of my inability to stop my destructive behavior. Um, I had crossed a line for the millionth time. I had crossed a line I swore I wouldn't cross, and I was enduring the consequences of that consequences we had agreed on. At this meeting, it wasn't just the three of us, but they had invited Matt and Olivia Venable and some of our closest friends and family. And they went around and each told me how my behavior had harmed each of them personally. And I was asked to respond to them and they outlined some further consequences they would enforce if I were to continue down this road. Um, That was hitting bottom for me. That was the moment I realized I was about to lose something I couldn't live without. And it was also the day I not only quit, but I began learning how to keep from starting again. So sometime afterward, as I was working a 12-step recovery program for sex and love addicts, I remember telling my mentor about my friends and family. And I remember saying, I feel like they're forcing me into this. I feel like they're pushing me into sobriety. 
But he challenged my perspective and he said, maybe you shouldn't think of them so much as pushing you into sobriety as they are holding you back from destruction. Now, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, uh, a Pharisee named Nicodemus is questioning Jesus. And a lot of times we forget that that famous verse, John 3.16, is actually part of Jesus' response <clears throat> to this confused religious person. And in John 3.17, Jesus states his intentions toward us very clearly. He says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Like many addicts, the hyper-religious Pharisees, they saw God as a judge and executioner. And Nicodemus needed a change of perspective to be able to see Jesus' intentions were to rescue and not to condemn. We addicts often also need a change of perspective to see that the, the pleadings and the warnings of our loved ones are not condemnation, but maybe they're the muffled calling of the Savior himself. Uh, now, you might think, okay, this North guy, he's been in church his whole life. He's, he knows what the Bible says, probably, about sex and sin and purity and all that stuff. It couldn't have been that hard for him to just, you know, start living what he actually believed. But uh, I'm here to tell you it was that hard. Um, this here is my recovery notebook. It's uh, several hundred pages of uh, journalings and notes on recovery literature and worksheets. Uh, This notebook represents um, many, many sleepless nights, um, a lot of painful self-examination, and uh, countless prayers of just weeping and asking God things like, why don't you just take this from me? Or, God, why did you make me this way and then condemn me for it? Um, and that's not to mention the, just the fist-clenching, teeth-grinding pain of letting go of many of the things that I felt defined me. <clears throat> See, freedom from sin isn't just the beginning of a new life. It's agonizing death to the old life. You can't be free unless you're willing to lose. And sometimes you need to be open to losing more than you expected. I didn't just have to wrestle with my perspective on and my attitudes about sex. I had to question the foundations of this faith I supposedly had that allowed me to live a double life for so many years. I had to reframe my entire understanding of spirituality, and I had to reinterpret all of my spiritual experiences, my own personal spiritual history. Uh, Because I still wanted that sinful life, even as I was resolving to lose it. Without me realizing it, my addiction had become a part of my identity. I couldn't imagine how I could possibly be happy or fulfilled without it. But that's where genuine faith really came in. Um, I had to, I had to let go. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had to let go of my my soul, really, the core of who I thought I was, and trust God, not really knowing what He had in mind for me. That, that was the choice to take these desires I couldn't control and trust them to a God I couldn't control and bet my life on the hope that he really does love me and doesn't want to harm me. And I wasn't always so sure of that. So if I had wanted, if, our, if, I, if I had waited until I could visualize my new life before making that change, 
I don't think I ever would have made that leap. So some of you have probably heard about the serenity prayer. It's a 12-step recovery thing. The first line of the serenity prayer says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And like I said, my sin and my addiction felt like something I couldn't change. I couldn't control it. Um, but now, looking back, I find that that's changing the unchangeable things is kind of part of God's repertoire. I look in, in the Bible and I see in Exodus 14, God changed the tide, which is something unchangeable, and he parted the Red Sea. Or how about the weather? In First Kings, God answered the prayers of a guy named Elijah, and he changed the weather to, from drought to rain. Or if you think of like cancer in the life of a friend of ours, even more recently, Terry, God has cured cancer. And I know he's done that many, many times. And so the point is, with all these miracles, none of them were painless, and neither was mine, but they were all worth it. Um, so while I was uh, spending my nights on that foam pad in that empty apartment, I had a lot of time to myself, and so I did a lot of reading. And one of the books I read for the very first time was The Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, now I like to tell people that The Chronicles of Narnia saved my life, uh, because in a way I really think it did, because I don't know about you, but God speaks to me most deeply through stories. And there's a story in this, in this book uh, called The Horse and His Boy. And in The Horse and His, his Boy, there's a, a scene where the main characters, they're, uh, they're fleeing across the desert away from this city uh, to get away from this evil band of warriors that have been pursuing them. And uh, C.S. Lewis, the author, notes that as they're running, the city refuses to shrink on, from view on the horizon. Even after running all night, it's still just looming there right behind them as if they've been running on a treadmill. Now, recovering addicts <clears throat> often have a very similar sensation. No matter how far or how hard we run, it feels like the desire for our drug of, drug of choice is keeping pace with us. It never falls very far behind and it never disappears. Um, but uh, there's a, a verse, I think, this is, I think that's the reason why in, in Scripture so many times we're reminded to be on our guard against temptation. And the verse I want to read real quick is in 1 Corinthians uh, ten twelve. Paul writes, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Now, one of the many lessons I learned from the Chronicles of Narnia was that any journey worth taking is bound to be longer and harder than you expected. So I've been sober for almost four years now, um, and I'm living this life of peace and fulfillment that I literally thought was impossible for me. Um, but I remember about a year into my recovery program, I stood up in one of the meetings and I said something like this. I said, so you older guys, you say that if I want what you have and I'm willing to go to any length to get it, then I'm willing to, then I should be ready to take certain steps in that direction. But honestly, I'm not so sure I want what you have. I said, I listen to stories from sober people in these meetings and I'm not so sure I envy this life of sobriety that you talk about. You talk about freedom, but it sounds more to me like exhaustion constantly fighting off temptations and desires that most normal people don't even worry about, or if they have them, they think it's okay. It's no problem. Um, so somebody here who may be struggling with addiction, when you hear me talking about running on a treadmill and the desires never go away, you might have a similar conflict in your heart. Um, but what my mentor reminded me of after that meeting was that 
our, the lives we have now, even with the difficulties and the inconveniences, are infinitely better than the lives we had while we were living in sin. Um, and so, really, the the uh, it's a it's a life it's a life of free of condemnation. It's a life with the power to get right and stay right. So, really, the question is: Is the pain going to be worth the change to you? Is it worth it to you? What's freedom going to look like for you? Are you willing to do the work that it will take to be free? Um, another verse in 2 Corinthians five fifteen through 17 says, So from now on, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I think whether we're addicts or not, we all need a change of perspective. To see that by commanding us to repent, Christ isn't condemning us for our sin or our addiction. And he's not demanding that we, we live this, this boring, prudish lifestyle inside of some kind of gray Christian bubble. He's, but neither is he promising us a life of ease where we can just indulge in whatever we want and it's just we're passive towards sin. But he's calling us to a life that's lived with the power to overcome temptation and be the people of God that we really want to be. And the thing is, you'll never know how thrilling and viscerally satisfying that life is until you take that leap and start to live it for yourself. The last scripture I want to read is a scripture where Jesus, again, makes his intentions toward us very clear. Um, And this is the same as our intentions in sharing our story with you guys today. It's in John 16, 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, or I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus isn't condemning you for your addiction. He's trying to save you from it. I think we can all look at that and um, something will resonate with us, whether we face addiction or not. We all have an element of suffering. And I know in the past I've tried to say, what do, what do I know about suffering? I'm not uh, like a poor kid in Africa, so I'm not really suffering. But, you know, suffering is the things in our life that are so painful, that are hard to overcome, where we feel hopeless. And everyone has a version of suffering. For some of you, it could be like North, where maybe you've caused a lot of your suffering with destructive behavior. Or it could be like me, where you've also caused a lot of your suffering by inviting lots of destructive behavior and having no boundaries, and then you also suffer. And uh, Or maybe it's like our friend Terry, who, who got cancer, and you didn't do anything, but you're still suffering. And God has something to say about suffering, and it doesn't really matter why you're suffering, but he has something to say about it. Uh, in Romans 5, 3 through 5, this is what it says. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What God's saying is that your suffering is meant to produce perseverance. Which, first of all, means you're meant to get through it. To persevere through something means you actually pass through it. You come out on the other side. So you're suffering. You're meant to get through it, and it's meant to produce something called perseverance. And then he goes on, and he says, and now your perseverance, that is going to shape your character. That is going to produce good character. The core of who you are can change through the process of perseverance that comes through suffering. 
And in the end, the best part, he says, basically that becoming Christ-like in your character, when your character changes, that produces hope. So in suffering, God's end game, his end goal, is that we would find hope through the change, through becoming like Jesus. And it only comes through the help of the Holy Spirit, but it's meant to result in life-changing hope. This has happened for us. And to be honest, it's still happening for us. We still have trials, and we still struggle with how to talk to each other and how to relate to each other. We still meet with Matt and Olivia for counseling. It's not all of a sudden better, but we're seeing, we're seeing the change of God, and, and we don't have these fears or these thoughts or these questions that can we make it. It's, it's just what do we do next? It's not will we make it. God is bringing hope into our life. It's happening. In the transforming years, uh, these difficult years, I look back and I see myself kind of as a tree. And I think about uh, me as a tree and that there were some areas of the tree that had fruit, maybe medium, small fruit, but, you know, produce some fruit here and there. But there were other areas of the tree that were totally bare. They didn't really produce anything. But from the outside, it looked like an okay tree, like maybe not much needed to be done. But I know that God created me to produce much more. In the roughest times, I look at that tree and I realize that God was pruning me which means he was cutting back the areas that were even producing some fruit, but it was smaller than what God intended. And the areas that were producing nothing, he was really cutting back. And so it looked ugly and it looked bare for a while. And if you've ever had trees pruned in your yard, like when I see a freshly pruned tree, I feel this sense of maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or maybe that tree shouldn't have been pruned because it's ugly. The big overgrown tree looked so much more nice and so much more fully developed, but it wasn't living up to its potential. And that's how I was. It might have looked okay, and it, it, it might have looked nice, but God knew that so much more could be produced. And so I had to go through the painful process of pruning, and it had to look ugly for a while. I felt like I had nothing to show for my efforts but a bare, empty tree. But eventually, a greater fruit began to grow. And in that process, God lifted this iron curtain that it felt like had closed the door on not only our marriage, but on our dream of being missionaries. It was like God said, you're, you're gaining momentum, you're getting healthy, and he gave us permission to dream again, and we began to do that. As of this current time, we are preparing to move to Papua New Guinea as full-time missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And that's a dream come true. That's greater than anything we imagined. And it's not because of our own goodness or our own wisdom, but because Jesus traded his life for ours. That's why. It's also because of the faithfulness of the staff here at this church, Canyon Ridge, and the forever love and counsel for Matt and Olivia Venable. And it's by God's grace that we continue to heal, that we get to continue on this road only by his grace. We've had many, many second chances, many second chances. And we hope and pray that God is speaking to you today because there's freedom that awaits you and there's hope promised at the end of your suffering. Today uh, is a great day to receive another second chance.